Recently, I've been triggered by the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial, and now that there's a verdict, I wanted to discuss this case a little further with you because as sick and tired as you may be of hearing takes on this case and what the verdict potentially means for abuse cases in the future, I've got some shit to say that I have not heard anywhere else. Aloha, namaste, and welcome back to the Healing Laughter Podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things related to self-love, manifestation, spirituality, the power of positive affirmations, healing water, astrology, and so much more. I'm your host, Katie Utterback. I'm an ICF certified spiritual life coach, a Western tropical astrologer, breathwork practitioner, dog mom, and wannabe mermaid. In February 2019, my life forever changed. In February 2019, my younger sister threw me out of her house while my parents and brother-in-law just sat there and watched. She screamed and hurled threats, untruths. They did absolutely nothing. And that hurt almost as much as my sister screaming at me for reasons I don't understand to this day. The last thing that my younger sister ever hissed at me in person was if you walk out that door, your fate is sealed. It was the last time I ever saw her. And this came only after I suggested my sister quit being such a soulless asshole to my husband of three months. Now, I did phrase it much kinder at the time. I had suggested to my sister that she learn manners, how to be kind to people's faces, like at least to their faces, and then go home and bitch about people behind their back to your husband like a normal person. But this only further enraged my sister, who, by the way, had agreed to stand by my side as my matron of honor during my wedding three months prior. Yet she was now suddenly saying that she could not even look at my husband because he had done such horrible things to me. Now, if you're looking for more details of the story, I shared a longer version in episodes one and two of the Healing Laughter podcast. But if you have not listened to those episodes, what you basically need to know is this. It ends with my decision to estrange myself or go no contact from my entire family of origin due to generational familial narcissistic abuse. Now I tried, I tried for nearly a year to get someone in my family to wake up and understand the lies, the gaslighting, narcissistic abuse even, but no one was interested in repairing anything. No one was interested in moving forward in a healthy direction. No one was even interested in coming with me to a therapy appointment. Now, if you've continued to listen to the show, thank you. But you also know that my healing journey has been filled with twists and turns, ups and downs. There are times when I feel like I am absolutely thriving. I feel so supported and loved. I feel confident in this woman that I'm becoming. And I forget all about narcissistic abuse and the trauma associated with all of it. Because I'm just in awe of how beautiful my life is. And I'm grateful for the magic, the love, and the peace that fills my life. I've mentioned this on a couple of episodes, how I struggle sometimes to talk about narcissistic abuse or my family of origin now because it feels like a lifetime ago. It feels like it happened to a different person or someone I used to know or I read it in a book. And even in my coaching business, I'm showing up differently. I no longer identify or refer to myself as a narcissistic abuse recovery coach. 
And that's because I prefer more forward thinking, healing titles like self-love coach, spiritual life coach, because I don't want to bring that toxic negative energy with me into the future. I don't want to create a business based on toxic people who left me feeling like a victim. I want to create based on love and happiness and peace and joy. But given that this podcast is about the healing journey, it only feels honest and fair to acknowledge that, yes, there are times when it feels like my whole being is triggered and something is pressing down on a bruise somewhere internally in my body. And there are times when I feel like I'm frantically searching for where this internal bruise is because it fucking hurts and it sometimes comes as a shock and I'm not prepared for it. I don't know how to show up for myself then when I get triggered. So what happens? I shut down. I retreat. I self-isolate. I stop meditating. I stop doing breath work. I stop dancing. I stop making gratitude lists. I stop journaling. I stop eating. I get angry. I get frustrated and I get sad. I get sad that my parents don't love me like a normal parent-child relationship. I'm sad that my siblings could so easily abandon me, that people could just sit silent as I went through this emotional hell. And I get emotional thinking about all of this love and energy I poured into people who I genuinely thought had my best interests in mind, who I thought loved me. And I start to question everything. I don't know what's real sometimes. I wonder just how much of my life experiences or things that I believed to be true or to be core positive memories, like how many of them were actually loving and happy. And that emotional energy weighs on me. It feels heavier and heavier until I get to a point where I just break. I lose it. I cry. I usually have a tantrum. And then once that energy is expelled, it's like I come back to myself. I get embarrassed for how I act when this happens I almost always instantly regret what I said or did, but I'm doing my best to learn from each of these situations or emotional blowups the best I can. I'm doing my best to not beat myself up about these slip-up moments because I realize, I recognize I'm reparenting myself. And in order to successfully reparent myself, I have to be honest. I was never taught how to manage emotions, especially those bigger, heavier, scary emotions. So in some sense, I have the emotional intelligence of a two-year-old who's also throwing a tantrum. And I know it's not an excuse, but sometimes I do react so fast or something triggers me and I'm not consciously aware for a few days or hours and it builds and builds and builds. Most recently, I've been triggered by the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial And now that there's a verdict, I wanted to discuss this case a little further with you because as sick and tired as you may be of hearing different takes on this case and what the verdict potentially means for abuse cases in the future, I've got some shit to say about this case that I have not heard anywhere else. And I had planned to record and publish this episode on June 1st, which is Narcissistic Abuse Awareness Day. And I found it extremely poetic that on June 1st, 2022, (laughs) a jury in Virginia reached a verdict in the Johnny Depp Amber Heard defamation case. But the thing is, the case left me feeling so raw, so vulnerable, that I had to take some time and sit with what I wanted to share. And this kind of came 
a little bit of a, a surprise or a shock to me, especially since I've talked about Britney Spears and her toxic family on this show multiple times. But then again, most of the world was on Team Britney. I was on Team Britney. And it didn't necessarily feel like I was harming anyone by saying what I wanted to say. But this feels a little bit different. There's a lot of voices, a lot of polarized voices, saying things, including, you know, the pro-Amber Heard side is saying that this case has a lot of negative repercussions for women and an entire generation of women has just been silenced. So to come out on Team Johnny Depp, it feels a little bit different. And as I've said, I've spent the last week seriously thinking about whether I wanted to record this episode or not. I even tried playing around with the messages that I wanted to share, that I wanted to get out, and I tried it in a couple of short reels. It just didn't feel right. It felt like I had to gloss over too much of what I wanted to say about this case to make it into a short reel, and I'm just not interested in giving you a short little take on this case. So before we dive in and talk about the case, just in the rare super blue moon chance that you missed it, or maybe you were in Joshua Tree with Jared Leto or something, but for six weeks in April, May 2022, actor Johnny Depp was in a court in Virginia arguing that his ex-wife, actress Amber Heard, had defamed him and caused serious damage to his professional and personal reputation that then impacted his finances, his children, etc. And this all happened because Johnny Depp says Amber Heard wrote a 2018 Washington Post op-ed in which she claimed she was punished by powerful men for speaking out about the sexual abuse and domestic violence she incurred at the hands of a powerful man. Well, because no one really knew who Amber Heard was until this case or until she married Johnny Depp, everyone, I mean everyone, assumed that this op-ed was about Johnny Depp. True, there was not a specific name included in the piece, so Amber was able to deny that it was about Johnny Depp, but the damage had been done. Johnny Depp lost his role in several films, including his uh, reprising his role as Jack Sparrow in the Pirates of the Caribbean series. He lost his role in the Harry Potter prequel series, and truly, Lord knows what else was lost. Now, Amber was accused of being a gold digger at the time, but she denied those claims by saying that every penny of her like $7 million divorce settlement had been donated to charities. Specifically, she mentioned the ACLU and the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. The thing is, these organizations have to keep really tight, close records of donations and any sort of money. And so these organizations were like, hey, we did not receive the money Amber claims that she's paid us. So they started to ask Amber for the money. So this started kind of getting more and more stories to come out. And around this time, like 2019, 2020, stories started to shift and it started to, the narrative started to shift to one in which Amber had actually been the one to abuse Johnny. So this started to play out when the UK trial was happening. And in that trial, the UK trial, Johnny Depp sued the UK publication The Sun for referring to him on the front page in giant text with a photo saying that Johnny Depp was a wife beater. 
Now, the judge in the UK case was a friend of Amber Heard's legal team. He also had connections to the Sun newspaper and a whole bunch of other shady shit. Also, in that case, there was no jury, so it was 100% up to the Amber Heard-friendly judge to make that decision. And the amount of evidence that Johnny Depp could supply in the case was extremely limited. Remember, we were going on UK law, not American US law. Additionally, Amber Heard was allowed to say whatever the fuck she wanted during this trial because she was not a party like she was in the Virginia defamation case, meaning she didn't have to establish foundation or where she got a lot of this information or where these photos came from. She was essentially a star witness for the son who said, we didn't lie calling Johnny Depp a wife beater because here's his ex-wife. She's saying that he beat her. So therefore calling him a wife beater is not a lie. And Amber even went so far as to say that there was photographic evidence of times in which Johnny Depp had held her hostage and abused her, sometimes as long as three days at a time. But that was all a lie. It came out even during the trial that Amber Heard had even sold a video that she illegally took of Johnny Depp to TMZ. So on June 1st, 2022, in a very poetic fashion, a jury in Virginia found that actor Johnny Depp had, had in fact, been defamed by his ex-wife Amber Heard when the Aquaman actress wrongfully and maliciously claimed Johnny Depp had physically and sexually abused her and was fined about $15 million for her lies. Now, I know this is going to come up, so I'm just going to acknowledge it right now. For the record, yes, I am a fan of Johnny Depp's work. I love the Pirates of the Caribbean film franchise. I've seen Johnny Depp in a few other films, too. Like, the thing I love most about him as an actor is I love how he's able to completely transform in his roles. So watching him in Pirates of the Caribbean as Jack Sparrow is a completely different experience watching Johnny Depp in Black Mass as the Irish-American mobster Whitey Bulger. But... I also want to acknowledge that I'm not an obsessive fan. I have not seen every single Johnny Depp movie. So in that sense, I'm more a supporter of survivors of abuse than I am of Johnny Depp. I don't want to consciously support abusers or predators. So I was actually ready to never watch Pirates of the Caribbean ever again, like I have with other films, restaurants, and music blacklists that I've created. Like, I will not watch a Woody Allen film. So... When there started to be buzz that the story that Amber was telling wasn't quite true, that Johnny Depp actually may have been the target of abuse, I started to pay attention. Why? Well, when the op-ed came out, it was when I started to catch my younger sister in lies about my relationship with my partner. And this strained relationship between my sister and I was not new. The relationship between my younger sister and I has always been difficult, violent, and unsafe. And in 2018, our relationship really flared up again to a level that I had not experienced since childhood. I think it was because I was planning my wedding and I got married and my attention was not on the narcissist. Now, my parents are not only aware of this unhealthy sibling dynamic between my sister and I, but they actually made jokes about it my entire life and publicly as well. So this has kind of actually made my healing journey a little bit more complicated and it's Another reason why I tell all of my clients, you need to focus on yourself and not the abuser, because I'm not entirely sure if my parent or parents triangulated my sister and I with our other siblings, or if my sister truly is the one who is like severely mentally unstable 
and my parents just don't have a fucking clue how to parent or care for a child with such severe mental health needs. The reason I say that is because my sister was almost 30 years old when she kicked me out of her house. She's a high school teacher, she's a soccer coach, and all I asked her to do was be nice, be kind to my husband's face. So that further makes triangulation blurry for me. But I have to acknowledge as well that even if my mother triangulated and pitted us against one another, my sister was at an age where she should know the difference between being kind, being hurtful, and she should be well aware as a teacher, as a coach, the harm that her actions can cause when she makes hateful and hurtful lies. So I want to just kind of share a little bit about the relationship between my sister and I, because that was a lot of the triggering memories I've been working through the last week. The first time I remember fearing for my life from my sister, I was in first grade. Because we're 18 months apart, she would have been in preschool, I believe. And my parents' house had an open floor plan, and we would run from room to room sometimes, almost like we were running laps around a track. Now, the details are a little blurry in a lot of these, but that's because, as I've shared on this podcast before, I don't remember a lot of my childhood. Most of my memories are blank, just black, but what I remember is wearing a nightgown dress it was Barbie on the front that was like purple on the back with flowers. My sister was chasing me around this circle, but it wasn't like a fun tag kind of play chase. It was like, I can feel the fear in the pit of my stomach to this day. I was so afraid. Like if she caught me, I knew I was going to be physically hurt. And I remember running and turning around at one point just to see how close she was to catching me. And the next thing I knew, I was laying on the ground. My face felt like it was on fire and I could not see out of one of my eyes. Well, it turns out I had run into the wall and within minutes, my cheek had ballooned into this giant cone that kind of reminded me of the cone-shaped head family from SNL. One of my eyes was black and swollen and it was actually so swollen, in fact, that the next day, when I was in school, I was trying to look down and read a note and I, my eye would just shut. Like I could not read. Now, when I was an adult, my mom shared with me that when she sent me to school that next day, my teacher actually called CPS because my injuries looked so severe. And what was so interesting to me about my mom sharing this with me is that she was sharing this story with me because she thought I had been too harsh on my sister. And my mom was sharing with me that when CPS showed up at school to ask if my parents had hurt me, I was adamant that it was my sister. And what kind of fucks me up now is I'm really not sure if my mom made this comment to me to try and further gaslight or triangulate me into believing that my sister was and always has been the problem. But then I think about how my mom was the adult. She's been an adult the entire time. And I don't know if my sister is just a special kind of evil that just makes that line blurry enough that I just don't know who the grand supreme villain is in all of this. And that can make healing a little bit trickier when you don't exactly know, you know, who the the narcissist is or who the orchestrator is. But again, when it comes to familial abuse, the golden child usually becomes the narcissistic parent. So that's one thing you have to kind of be mindful of and look out for. 
And that being said, the narcissistic sibling who becomes just like the narcissistic parent, they sometimes are trained or taught to act the way that they are. And so I, I'm sharing these stories with you knowing that it may not have gone down exactly like this, but this is what I remember, and this is the trauma that lives inside my body. And I wish that this black eye wall incident was the only story I had for you in which I thought that my sister was going to really hurt me, but it's not. When I was in second grade, my sister threatened to push me down the stairs from the second floor to the landing step. And because all staircases are different, I want to explain that this was a very steep, very long jump. I want to say like maybe 15 steps to the landing. It was carpeted, but when you're jumping from that height at that length, at that angle, it's just not safe. It's just not good. I ended up with a sprained ankle on at least one occasion, and my parents did absolutely nothing. My ankle was actually sprained so severely that I could barely walk. In order to walk, I had to twist my foot and walk on the outer side of my foot, like almost like I was walking on my ankle. And I remember that night, we were supposed to go to a hotel room or a hotel where my dad's sister had rented a room in order for us to go swimming. And I remember my parents saying, I think the water might make your ankle feel better, but I was terrified that I was going to drown if I wasn't able to kick because I could barely walk. How was I going to swim? And in that case, I didn't get any medical attention until an aide at the before and after school program noticed the way that I was walking was just not right. And then when I was in fourth grade, we traveled to Paris, France to visit my sister's friend and family. And we stayed with my sister's uh, friend's family just to kind of keep the cost of the trip down. I don't remember much of this trip. I don't remember the sleeping arrangements in the house. But I do remember going to shower one day and realizing that there was not any towels. So I called out my sister's name for help. I have no idea where my parents were. And I was in fourth grade. So my sister would have been in second grade at the time. And when she came into the bathroom with her friend, whose house we were staying at, I asked if my sister could please go get me a clean towel because I didn't know where they were. I didn't want to drip water all over the house. And my clean clothes were actually in a different room. So I was, for lack of a better word, stuck. Now, my sister actually only agreed to get me the towel if I would agree to show her my naked body. Now, I immediately denied this weird request. I can remember standing in the shower behind the, like, sort of sheer shower curtain, like, negotiating this. And the weird thing is my sister was prepared for my refusal. She said, if you don't show me your body, no towel. So I reluctantly agreed, but I thought I had a plan. I wasn't going to actually show her my body. I was just going to wrap myself tight in the towel, get my clothes, and get dressed before she could see anything. Now, in hindsight, this is when my sister probably was really starting to display troubling or warning signs of some sort of psychopathological, psychopathological, strongly on that word, some sort of psychopathy, okay? That's my opinion. She brought the towel into the bathroom, but she did continue to hold it hostage, and I think that was because she knew my plan. So I had to renegotiate again. Long story short, what we had agreed to 
is that I would change in front of my sister and her friend. And as I was pulling on my panties, the rest of me was naked, my sister's friend's mother walked in. And even now, just thinking about this, it's so painful because I remember the look on this woman's face and it makes me nauseous because I started to get lectured by my mother and later this woman about how inappropriate it was to change in front of these younger girls and how I should know better because I was older. And this was absolutely devastating to me because nobody seemed to care, nobody seemed to be listening to me that I had just been exploited, that my body had been shamed and ridiculed and exposed. And of course, I did not know any of these words then. But this is what life is like for the scapegoat black sheep of the family. I constantly was shamed for my boob size, for having cleavage, for having a thicker body build, for having curves, for not having stick straight hair. I was made fun of for how I stood, how I looked with a backpack on. I was mocked, ignored, and punished. My sister would dig her nails into my skin when she was angry, and it would leave crescent moon-shaped wounds. I had bruises all over my body. I was threatened with knives, my emotions, my needs, my wants. It always came second because she would be throwing a tantrum on the kitchen floor and I would be told that I was the voice of reason, that I was a, I needed to show up for my sister who was struggling. In other words, you get the fuzzy end of the lollipop when you are the black sheep scapegoat of the family. And that is the exact language that Johnny Depp used to describe Amber's sister, Whitney. And Johnny Depp was not the only one who acknowledged that Whitney was the scapegoat, especially for Amber. Numerous witnesses described Whitney as the scapegoat of the Heard family. And as it turns out, it was Amber, not Johnny, who almost pushed Whitney down the stairs, which was incredibly triggering to me. One of the witnesses who actually really tried to defend Whitney was the Art of Elysium nonprofit director, Jennifer Howell. Whitney had worked for Jennifer Howell at the Art of Elysium, and Jennifer Howell shared in a deposition a lot of eye-opening information about the relationship between Amber and Whitney, how it had gotten so tumultuous that Whitney had actually moved in and was living with Jennifer Howell at one point. And Jennifer Howell noted that when she reviewed Whitney's testimony, she noted that Whitney had lied, that she had committed perjury, but Jennifer Howell, being aware of Whitney's role in a toxic family, she took a small step forward and asked law enforcement if they would be lenient on Whitney. She then asked if she could write Whitney a letter explaining that she had been caught in this perjury moment and that if she committed now to telling the truth that there was a way out. Jennifer Howell wrote a fucking letter to Whitney saying, please tell the fucking truth. I told law enforcement about your crazy ass sister. Please fucking use this as an opportunity to get yourself away from this crazy bitch. But she didn't. And I'm embarrassed to say this, but if I was in the exact same situation as Whitney, I don't know what I would have done. And the reason I say that is because I... I know what my sister is capable of. She is so evil that I am terrified of her. I know she has physically harmed other people. I know she has emotionally harmed even more people. And the worst part about this for me is that it's not a quiet secret. 
it's one of those open secrets where people talk about it. Like, you know, so-and-so is kind of difficult. Well, I am not interested in protecting abusers. One of the reasons I've been so pro Johnny Depp in this case is for me, this case is not about free speech like Amber Heard wants you to believe. This is not about men versus women. It's about right versus wrong, abusers versus survivors. This case is a reckoning moment in my mind. It's forcing us to acknowledge that if the Me Too movement is going to succeed and create meaningful change, we're going to have to clean up how we treat one another and start to actually protect one another. And that must include men too. If we really want more peace and love on this planet, men too must be included in me too. And when I say that we must treat one another better, that doesn't mean that you have to let toxic people just use and abuse you. On the contrary, to consciously stay in an abusive situation because your abuser has been hurt too is idiot compassion. It does not do anyone any good in the long, tor- long term or short term. All it does is perpetuate generational trauma, cycles of abuse, and it keeps you playing small. It keeps you stuck in a pool of lower vibrational energies like shame, guilt, fear, and doubt. Now, if you're not familiar with narcissism or narcissistic abuse, let me be clear. Narcissists love to operate in gray areas. They love to make their abuse seem rational or like they were acting out of concern. They love to push you until you get to a point where you react uncharacteristically like yourself. And then they sit there and say, see, look how crazy and abusive they are. And that's what makes narcissistic abuse, emotional abuse, psychological abuse, spiritual abuse so fucking damaging for the target of abuse. The number of people who believe you when you are the target of narcissistic abuse is usually incredibly small. It's not typically Johnny Depp level numbers. And even in Johnny Depp's case, this is six fucking years of dealing with lies and smear campaigns. And he's just now reached this level of fandom again. And this is why if you are a survivor, I highly recommend that you work with a coach like myself or a therapist, somebody that you trust who can teach you the tools that you need to get out of abusive situations, to recognize toxic relationship red flags, to recognize healthy green relationship flags, and to help you heal. Now, because of my background, because of the work that I do, I have viewed this trial through a completely different lens than most people. But I agree with what Ben Chu said in his closing that the truth is worth fighting for, and that's what this case was all about. But unlike these free speech advocates who say that this verdict has silenced Amber Heard and an entire generation of women, I disagree. I disagree that you have the right to say whatever the fuck you want whenever you want. That's obviously not true. If you don't believe me, go down to a crowded theater, go to the airport, and try yelling fire or hijack and just see how far that gets you. Just see how much freedom you have when you use that as an excuse in front of a judge that you were just exercising your First Amendment right. Because guess what? You don't have that fucking right. There's a limit on it. Another free speech-related legality that I wanted to bring up is actually something I remember from my journalism capstone course my senior year of college. And it comes down to, you know, in order for a First Amendment protection to work, What kind of content are you creating and for what purpose? 
So in my senior journalism course, we had to participate in what was called the Media Ethics Bowl, and we had to examine these First Amendment media-related cases and come up with arguments for and against all sides. Now, during the Ethics Bowl, we would be given a case just randomly from a panel of judges, and then the judges would decide if we had to argue in favor or against that case. So one of the cases we had to prepare for was a legal case in which an author had sued Amazon saying Amazon had wrongfully refused to publish this author's book, and he was claiming, like, unlawful censorship. Now, back in 2012, buying books on Amazon was, like, what Amazon was made for. So it was a really big deal if you were denied the ability to even sell your book on Amazon. The thing is, though, Amazon didn't just wake up and decide, I'm going to ruin this guy's day. The reason they decided to not sell the book was because they believed it did more harm than good. Why? The book was a fucking how-to guide, a how-to-molest-children guide. Now, the author swore that the book was not based on real-life experiences. He said that grooming children is not something to joke about. But this book fucking eerily reminds me of OJ's book that he wrote about the murder of his wife and her alleged lover, like the If I'd Done It book. It gives me chills to think abusers, murderers, toxic people, narcissists, they feel so fucking entitled to just say and write whatever they want, saying that they have the First Amendment protecting their right to do so. Obviously, you can tell where I stand on the Second Amendment because of this as well, but it irritates me that in 2022, we don't understand that men can be targets of abuse and that men can be targets of abuse at the hands of a female abuser. When I was growing up, one thing that kept me stuck was a lot of people dismissed the abuse I shared with them at the hands of my sister because I was older. I was physically bigger than my sister. So to many, it seemed impossible that she could hurt me. It even became a running joke in my household among my parents that when my sister was physically abusive, they would just instruct me to hit her back. But they would also note this while laughing, that my heart never seemed to be able to hit back. Now, unlike Amber Heard, I am going to acknowledge that I'm definitely not innocent. I did fucking hit her back. I hit her back on several occasions. I've also said things that I should not have said, but it's unfair to put me in the same abuser category as my sister. And I feel the same way about Johnny Depp, even with the dark text messages that he sent. I don't know if it's reasonable to hold him accountable for what he said or to even call it abusive because from where I'm sitting, it seems like he was coming from a reactive place, a place where he had been gaslit so bad and for so long that he felt trapped, stuck, unsure of who to trust. Now, I've shared this with therapists and really close people before, but I've never shared this publicly When I was having to go to family events where I knew that my pedophile maternal grandfather would be, I told you guys I would drink to excess. Sometimes I would abuse prescription drugs in order to make my time at these family events less painful. And I'm not a violent person. I don't think I was a violent person. But I wanted that disgusting pedophile gone so bad that I would find myself just sitting there plotting at family events like, Well, what would happen if I just stuck out my foot when he went to walk down the stairs and he tripped and fell? Or what if somebody just forgot to give him his heart medication and I just knock it into the trash can? Or, inspired by movies like Sixth Sense, what if there was an additional ingredient that just accidentally ended up in his food? Now, I don't ever remember writing down 
any of these plots. But there might be a Facebook message or a text somewhere where I said that. And my purpose in sharing that with you is to try and remove this barrier that sending one dark text message like forever makes you an abuser, a dark person. Because I never did anything, but I wanted to. I was so grossed out by the amount of respect that this this criminal, this pedophile was getting. And it grossed me out that his daughters would hand over their young babies to this pedophile just so they could march me to the other room and scream at me for being too obviously uncomfortable with the pedophile in our midst. Instead of thinking that there was something wrong with these people trying to cover and protect such a dangerous, toxic person, I felt like there was something inherently wrong with me, that I couldn't just shut the fuck up and be okay with it. Like my sister, my aunts, my mom, my dad could. But to me, it just felt so wrong. And that's why I will never stop fighting for survivors of abuse. So to all survivors of narcissistic abuse, I see you, I believe you, and I love you. If you have any questions or you want to work one-on-one with me to heal from toxic relationships or narcissistic abuse, you can schedule an appointment with me at elevatedaura.com.